Welcome to the Cheryl Broderson Podcast, encouraging and equipping you through the study of God's Word. This is a podcast taken from the Joyful Life Bible Study at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. I want to ask you a question. Have the things for the last, like, two or three years taken you by surprise? Do you, do you feel somewhat shaken? Like, what happened to the world we used to live in? And I think of, like, um, some of the things that were just so routine for us that we used to just do almost without thinking, um, they can't be done. I think about just, you know, some of the my favorite restaurants are gone. They just couldn't make it through the, the COVID season. Um, Brian and I like to go up to Santa Barbara sometimes. And half of the places on State Street, which is the main street in Santa Barbara, are closed. And it just like they couldn't make it through through COVID. And I I feel off balance, like literally off balance. Um, in the last two years, so I consider myself the healthiest person I know, or I did. And in the last two years, I have been in the emergency room three times and twice by paramedics. And so I went to bed Saturday night, and I've had this like stuffy ear for like a month, right? And my thing is like, it will get better. It's just allergies. And I woke up. And my head felt like it was 80 pounds, and the room was spinning around me. And I was profusely um, drenched um, in sweat. And so I woke up Brian, and I said, if you wake up to a corpse tomorrow, I want you to know I think I'm having a stroke, but don't be dismayed if I'm dead in the morning. And I said, and I'm going to throw up. And so he's like, no you've got vertigo, I think you have an ear infection, I'm calling the paramedics. And, you know, paramedics, when they come, they just make your life miserable. They, you know, I'm already just so nauseated, the room's spinning, and they're moving me onto a gurney. I could not get up. I, I mean, everything was spinning. And every, every move of my body just jarred me. So they put me on this thing, and then I live, my bedroom's upstairs, so they have, and I have kind of a half-circular staircase, so they're having to bring me down. Second time I've done this, and it's just like, and they've got a, they've given me my own trash can to, because I'm, you know, any movement just uh, makes me throw up. So they get me out, and then they have to move me onto the other bed, and then they're doing an EKG, and, you know, it's like, I don't care what you do. I don't care. I'm going to go see Jesus. It's okay. And you know, I kept thinking to the girl, like, thank you, but I'm going to go see Jesus, I think. I think this is, you know. So we get to the hospital. They move me on another bed. Then I have to have a CAT scan and an MRI and all of this to tell me that um, they don't know. So they gave me some drugs, sent me home. Um, my doctor is so, I've got the best doctor. She calls me the next day, like, what is going on? And um, then I had a physical therapist come to my house, and he ruled out um, that thing, that like BVP or PVV, the crystal thing in your ear. And um, so the doctor said, you've got an inner ear infection. And I looked it up online, and I had every single symptom, especially the stuffy ear for, for four weeks that I did nothing about. That's like the number one symptom. That's supposed to send you to the doctor, but me, no. Yet I know that Saturday night did not take God by surprise. It took me by surprise. I definitely took Brian by surprise. 
but it didn't take God by surprise. He already knew the future. He already knew what was going on. And he went before me, and he prepared the way. Often when things seem beyond our control, we tend to wrongly assume that either God doesn't care, God isn't there, God is inactive, or God is so weak. And when we begin to assume those things, we're women, and we try to seize control. I call it the flying cat syndrome, because if a cat like begins to drop or fly through the air, the claws come out, and it will grab onto anything it can. I don't know if you've ever had a flying cat thrown at you. It's something that cruel little boys do. But, you know, they just they grab, and it hurts. And that's what we as women do. Our claws come out, and we're just clawing at anything that will give us stability. And it moves us away from the Lord. We depart from the faith, sometimes not even realizing that we're departing from the faith, but we begin to put our trust. Because you know what? Christianity is all about faith in God, what he has done through Jesus Christ. And without knowing that we depart from the faith and we put our trust in politics, in politicians, we put our trust in maybe job opportunities or other circumstances or people or Tennessee or Idaho or Texas. You know, all I need is a, a new place to live. And we don't even realize that an idol has come between us and God, that this is the person or this is the thing that's going to deliver me. This is the thing that's going to bring me out of the situation that is uncomfortable, that I don't like. So Paul says that the Spirit of God is warning us. He is expressly, that word expressly means he's like shouting at us. He is saying without a Doubt. There are going to be hard times in the future, without a doubt. You know, going back to my, um, my um, conceit about health, when I was pregnant um, with my third child, I took this aerobic maternity exercise class, which remind me of those kind of elephants dancing in Fantasia or hippopotamus or whatever they were. And as I was taking this class, and this is a good thing to say because this is, we're going to talk about exercise. And I remember saying to the instructor, is this going to make my labor shorter? And she said, no, because I'd had a 28-hour labor and then a 12-hour uh, labor. So I was like, is this going to make my labor shorter? And she's like, no. And I said, well, is this going to make it easier? And she said, no. <laughs> I'm like, then why am I doing this? And she said, it will give you the endurance to make it through labor to have a child. And I was like, OK, put that music on. Here we go. 
But the Spirit is telling us that there will be hard times. Even as Christians, we don't have an exemption to hard times. There will be disillusioning and disappointing times. Jesus spoke of false prophets that would arise and deceive many. There will be things that will threaten to jar the faith right out of us. We'll hear about leaders that are falling. We'll hear about... um, And how much have we heard of that lately, right? We've heard about, you know, this person was um, doing this with the money. This person had a sexual addiction. And these were all leaders of churches. Satan is working overtime to get us to doubt the goodness and sovereignty of God. Yet even Jesus warned us in John 16, 33, In the world, you will have tribulation. One of my most unfavorite promises. In the world, you will have, without a doubt, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have problems. But there's an addendum to this. Take heart. I have overcome the world. In other words, you're going to go through labor, and it's going to be hard at times. But the good news is you're going to give birth to a healthy, wonderful child, which is Jesus. As Paul said, I labor fervently for you until Christ is formed in you. So during these labor pains, this time, Christ is being formed in us. Leaders need to prepare themselves and others for the times we live in. And remember, you're all leaders. And we need to be prepared and therefore prepare others for these times that we live in. Years ago, uh, my mom did a retreat, and she did it in Twin Peaks, funny enough, um, called Disaster Preparedness. Now, one of my mom's favorite things was to come up with retreat themes. That was like... That was just her favorite um, thing. And so often we would have meetings and she'd be like, I have three themes. Choose your favorite. And so, you know, everyone would choose their favorite. She's like, no, that's not my favorite. So disaster preparedness. And you're like, disaster preparedness? What are you talking about? She said, nobody's prepared for disaster. And yet the Spirit expressly says to us, that in the latter times, perilous times would come. And this was the 80s, and I don't know if you remember, some of you can and some of you can't, Um, but in the 80s, um, these companies that prepared you for disaster began to rise up. And I knew a woman who had a company, and I think it was MGM Studios hired her, and she went in with her husband. And they thought of all the worst-case scenarios, like a bomb, a uh, fire, um, a nuclear event, um, every worst-case scenario, a sniper, anything you could think of, they thought of, and they made a plan of action for every single eventuality. And once they came up with this plan, they had MGM uh, do all the necessary things. Maybe um, if it was a health crisis, defibrillators, Um, telephones available, 
80s, remember? Cell phones were like this big and only Batman had one. Um, or um, fire extinguishers, um, shelters, safety shelters, all these things. And then she and her husband would outline and teach the whole staff of MGM on what to do in case of a disaster. That's where we're at. Paul is saying to Timothy, disaster is coming. And it's here already. The Spirit already told us. So, Timothy, you need to prepare the people for disaster. You need to prepare the people for the times that they live in. And you need to be prepared for the times that we live in so that you can not only teach, but you can exemplify how to be prepared for the times we live in. When the Bible talks about latter times, it is talking about the time of Pentecost, the time that was initiated by the ascension of Jesus and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit right up to the present times and to the coming of Christ. Every reference to the latter times doesn't just mean um, the period right before the tribulation. No, when Peter was teaching in Acts chapter 2, remember everyone was speaking in tongues and those watching were saying, what does this mean? And he said, this is nothing less than what the prophet Joel said would happen in the last times. Peter is saying the last times are here, and now they're going to continue until the coming of Christ. This is the last great show of mankind. This is it. This is, you know, men do your best. Because when you are done, then comes the time for the fire of God. And those are the times we are living in. Paul and Timothy were living in those times, and we are living in those times. Now, I want to remind you just for a moment that Timothy was serving in Ephesus, And we learn in Acts chapter 19 that Ephesus was a city that was steeped in idolatry and spiritualism. Uh, We read again in Acts 19 about itinerant Jews who were going around casting out demons, which meant what? That there was a need. Why was there a need? Because there were demons. Right. Because there was demonic activity in Ephesus. So this was like a money-making thing. We also read that there were riots. It was a, it was a very um, volatile city, a, very, a city on edge. Don't you kind of feel like we're living in edgy times? Like people get angry over such a little thing? Um, my grandson, my oldest grandson drives, and I was in New York, which kind of precipitated some of this. I was in New York last week, and he says, you know, Grandma, I want to go to the outlets. I'm like, oh, great. He's like, no, no, I want you to take me because I want you to spend money on me, Grandma, because you're my grandma. So I'm like, okay, because I'll drive. You're going to drive. So he's got this car, 
And don't worry, we've taken care of it. Grandpa took care of it. But the registration was expired. It's got a crack across the entire windshield. And it wasn't until we were leaving the outlets that I realized his four tires were balding. Anyway, he drives me an hour and a half um, out to these, these outlets. And I have no idea why I'm telling this story. This is like my antibiotics, maybe. Maybe it was disaster preparedness with Kate. It was one of the uh, most frightening rides I've ever been on. But it'll come to me later as we, oh, I know. We were, he comes out of the gas station and he gets in the right-hand lane and he makes a left turn in front of the car right here. So this car, it's a lady in a Kia, I'm just going to say, she starts tailgating us, and she pulls out her phone, and she starts taking pictures of us. She's honking. She's everything. And I'm just like, oh, Lord. I didn't know this was going to be an intercessory trip, but, you know. And if I see you today. See, I've had a lot of near-death experiences lately. So then he decides to take a picture of her taking a picture. And I said, Kate, that's against the law. Yeah, but I want them to catch her against the law, too. Because I'm like, seriously. He goes, what do you think she's doing? Is she calling the police on us? Call my dad. Find out what she can do to me. So I'm like, hi, Michael. This is your mother-in-law, Cheryl. I'm driving with Kate. And he just made like a, a left-hand turn in front of a lady, cutting her off, almost killing her. And she's taking pictures of us. And he wants to know, will there be any recriminations from this? And, you know, he's like, I don't, I think the police have better things to do than find Kate. So anyway, make a long story short, she kept at us, honking, following us, doing all of this until we finally pulled off onto the motorway. But I just thought, you know, seriously, I wanted to say to her, just let it go. Let it go. He's 20. He's not a good driver. Let it go. Uh, and I wanted to say to him, and he was like, I'm taking pictures. I'm like, let it go. I said, you live in New York. These things are common. Let it go. You know, just breathe deep, breathe in, breathe out. And, you know, and I was saying that to myself, just let it go. Let it go. This is not a lecture from grandma moment. So it was a very hot spot. It was a, it was a, a city on edge. But the believers had formerly been steeped in paganism and superstition. In fact, Acts 19.18 speaks about when the people, the Ephesians, the Christians, uh, brought their occult books. So they had, had formerly had all these occult books on how to cast spells, um, you know, how to, you know, um, make yourself feel better, all these spells, all these remedies um, that relied on uh, mythology and genealogies and other stuff. They brought them because at that moment they realized these things are keeping us from Jesus. We need to get rid of these things. And they publicly burned those books in a bonfire. And it was written that the books had been worth 50 
50,000 pieces of silver. 50,000. In our, in our times, that would be somewhere around one to five million dollars of books. Books that were filled with superstition, spells, diagnostic tools, and other weird stuff. So Paul had already written to Timothy that when he went to Ephesus, it wasn't to live pleasantly. It was to set the church in order. He was to charge that the people not teach any doctrine than the gospel. Don't teach anything as doctrine outside the word of God. He wrote to Timothy to stop the myths and endless genealogy, which is equivalent, I'm sorry, to conspiracy theories of our day, to pray for the government and all in authority rather than rioting or resorting to violence, and to appoint good and faithful leaders. Now Paul exhorts Timothy to prepare the people for the time they live in. The Spirit had already predicted these times. Again, they were no surprise to the Spirit of God. And Paul said that these times would be um, characterized by departure from the faith. Now, I find it interesting that, you know, now we don't call it departing from the faith. There's a new term, deconstructionism. I'm just deconstructing my faith. You know, I'm just reevaluating it. I heard one woman who I personally knew on a podcast just talking about, oh, when I gave up Jesus and I saw him just as a man, all the freedom I had. And I was just like, what freedom? I don't want to live one moment without Jesus. Not one moment because disaster is all around us and we're vulnerable to it. I don't know what I would have done Saturday night without Jesus. If Jesus wasn't the Son of God, if my sins weren't forgiven, if he wasn't on the right hand of the Father making intercession for me, if he hadn't sent the Holy Spirit to accompany me in the ambulance, well, down the stairs, in the ambulance, at the hospital, I don't know. I don't know where I would be. But people who once follow Jesus will give heed to deceiving spirits. Another word for deceiving is seductive spirits. Doctrine of demons or demonically inspired teachings. And these deceiving spirits, these doctrines of demons would draw them away. Just as Eve, Eve was seduced by Satan, who drew her away from all the freedoms in the garden, all the trees with all the right fruit that she could have, to the one forbidden thing, and lied to her that the forbidden would give her freedom, that the forbidden would give her fulfillment, that that would be in the forbidden rather than in the obedience to Jesus, to God, and being under the authority of the word of God. It's the same 
seductor. It's the same. Promising, promising control, promising fulfillment, promising, oh, God has so many prohibitions. He told you no, and that's your desire. He wants you to stay in this marriage to this Christian man. How dare he? You've got feelings. Or, you know, God's never going to give you what you want. You have to seek it for yourself. God's not going to protect you. God's going to leave you vulnerable. That's the seduction. Those are the lies, the doctrine of demons. It says that the people who fall away will believe lies in hypocrisy. What does that mean? It means that some of them will pretend to be Christians. They'll still come to church, but they won't be living it out. They won't be authentic. Uh, They might even stop coming to fellowship, but when you talk to them, I'm still a Christian. I'm just not a Christian like you. I'm just not a biblical Christian. I'm just a Christian who, I believe all truth is God's truth. Or I'm just embracing all the religions. I remember being at a Christian college my freshman year and having this... um, this class called Interim, and it was between the first semester and the second semester. And the lady who was instructing us at a Christian college, Christian instructor, was saying to us, all roads lead to God. The only reason you've chosen this road to God that we call Christianity is because you live in the West. But Muslims have their own road to God. And Buddhists have their own road to God. And I said, excuse me. And she's like, what? Um, Wouldn't you say those are seductive spirits that are drawing us away from the truth? Because Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. She's like, hmm, well, uh, that's your opinion. And I said, no, 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 that's not my opinion. Well, that, you believe that because you were raised in the West. I said, well, Christianity's a religion of the East. It came out of the Fertile Crescent. It affected the Fertile Crescent, and then it affected all of Europe. And the disciples said, turn from your idols and serve the living God. And she's like, okay, let's go on to the next point. And I could tell there was a little tension between us. So Paul also says that there'll be People without a conscience. Um, When we were having our leaders meeting, I think it was Trish that was saying, in the last days, the love of many would grow cold. It seems like as we're trying to get in touch with our own feelings, like, how do I feel? Do I feel like an ice cream cone or a tree? You know, my own feelings. I forget about the feelings of others. Don't you see that? That I'm that this generation that we live in is so concentrated on fulfilling themselves and doing what feels good to them that they're not thinking of the people that they're hurting in the process. You know, sometimes we feel like and this is a lie of Satan. 
If you just yell at somebody, just let it all out, just scream and yell, you're going to feel so much better. I have never felt better after I yelled at somebody. I have felt like an idiot and the wicked witch of the West. And I just looked down to see if I was wearing ruby slippers. I just, well, that was the East. I just felt, I just felt awful. I just felt awful. And I think about the people on Facebook, and because they're so, and internet, because they're so insular, that they can say the meanest things. They can answer the cruelest things back on an Instagram. You know, there's a picture of a baby. Baby. You know, just horrid vitriol. Not even thinking about, how does that make the person you're writing that to feel? Well, why should I care what they feel? You should. Because the Bible says care more about others' feelings than your own. That's what it is to be under the authority of the word of God. These people are without conscience. They don't care who they deconstruct. They don't care whose faith they ruin. They don't care about the eternal state of people. They have no conscience. And we're living in a time where that cruelty is just on display. Then it says that these people are forbidding marriage. What do they mean? Are they forbidding like, no, you can't get married? No. What he's talking about is they are trying to usurp power over others to the point of telling them who and who they can't marry. Now, I've known pastors and pastors' wives like that who have said, you can't marry him. You have to marry this person. This is the one the Lord has for you. Uh, I knew a woman who went to this church, and she had this man who was pursuing her, and he was wealthy, came from a, a very prestigious family in Orange County. And a pastor pulled her into his office and said, you really need to take a second look at him. I think he's the Lord's will. And then he had this prophecy over her, you're supposed to marry this man, thus says the Lord, and when you marry him, he will give you the love for him. She married that man who looked like a Christian, and he beat her and beat her and beat her. And she said she prayed for five years, Lord, let me out of this marriage. And one day he came home and said, I've fallen in love with somebody else. I want a divorce. And she said, okay. And he said, you're not getting anything. She said, okay. And she said, you know, I prayed for my freedom. And that was God giving me my freedom. And then I sought the Lord and he provided all my needs. But I think about that. That's a telltale sign of a cult. You know, let me tell you who you should marry and who you shouldn't marry. Forbidding the eating of certain foods. Now, this is the ultimate um, type of control, to control somebody's diet. Interestingly enough, when the communists came in and they wanted to um, really control the people, what they did is they created food shortages because the people needed food so desperately and it was the need for food that made them comply. There's something about food. Personally, I love food. And there's something bonding about food. That's why, you know, sometimes it can be a little dangerous because food is so comforting. 
But these people will tell you what you can and cannot eat. And Timothy was to prepare these people for these type of times. But Timothy, before he could prepare others, he had to prepare himself. And how was he to prepare himself? By exercising himself to godliness. This was the way for preparation. Let me read verse 8. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Now, we know that exercise is so good for you, and if you're not exercising, you know, lead to what? Diabetes, high cholesterol, um, heart disease. We know all these things come. We know that our muscles uh, will lose strength. At, at my age, you got you to gotta keep doing the exercises because um, you've got grandkids that say, gamma, home, home, just like yesterday. And we need to be strong. We need to be strengthened for the times that we live in. But the strengthening that we're doing now for the times we live in will have eternal benefits. Eternal benefits. They'll have heavenly rewards. So, Paul, and I don't want you to be afraid, gives Timothy eight ways to exercise. Eight ways to exercise. And we'll go through these eight points rather quickly. But these are the eight points that we're going to be going through. Laboring and suffering reproach. Now, anyone who thinks that exercise is fun and without labor never did an aerobics class in the 80s. It's also part of the exercise is to instruct others. Then to eat right. Part of exercising is eating right, nourishing, eating the, the healthy food. It's also resistance training by rejecting useless fables. It's also by setting an example, like don't you want muscles like these? It's about putting a priority on reading the word and exhortation and doctrine. Seven, it's about using the gifts that God has given us by the Holy Spirit. And finally, it's by meditating on spiritual things and devoting our life to the things that we have learned and heard. So first, laboring and suffering. I think those are the true marks of exercise. Some of you maybe did the Jean Fonda video in the 80s. Remember, no pain, no gain. Do you remember that? No pain, no gain. And she would always say that. <laughs> you know, like pain is good, but it takes labor. I remember my girlfriends and I, we used to go to this exercise class that a, um, a woman in our church did. Her name was Ruth. And before she started these exercise classes, she used to train Marines in Hawaii. And I remember we would be dying. We would be dying in the class. And I was only in my 20s. I was dying in the class. And after the class, we would look at each other 
and we would go and get coffee mochas and pumpkin scones. We would just like undo everything we'd just done for the last hour. But we felt like we needed a reward, like you poor little thing, that class was hard. But it's gonna take labor and suffering. And part of that labor is to keep your trust fixed on the living God. Keep your focus on the living God. Keep that what you trust in. Don't you find that you so easily trust in the wrong things? It just kind of happens like, oh my goodness, I must have been trusting in that. I'm so disappointed. I must have been trusting in the wrong thing. I think about the disciples in Luke chapter 8, and they're on the ship, and the storm comes up. And, you know, the disciples wake Jesus, and they say, you know, don't you care? We're perishing. He gets up, he quiets the storm, and he looks at me and says, where's your faith? Where's your faith? What did you put your trust in? Was the trust in the boat? Like, oh, Peter's boat, it will take us through anything. Was your trust in your own experience? I've done these seas so many times. I know what to do in a storm. I'm fully educated for this. Was it in your own strength? I'm so strong, I can make it through any storm. Was it in the strength of the other disciples? Well, as long as they're working with me, we'll make this happen. Was What was it in? Was it in the weather? This never lasts for long. What was your faith in? Was your faith in the sea that it was going to overcome you? Was your faith in the storm that it was stronger than God? What was your faith in? You see, it takes a labor. It takes and even a bit of suffering to say, no, I am going to trust God. I'm going to choose to trust the living God. No matter what the circumstances look like, no matter what is happening, I'm going to trust God. I think of trust as weightlifting. And I think of it like trust is lifting the burdens to God. Right? Trust is lifting the burdens to God. I don't know if um, I told you this before. I'm sure I have. But my um, grandson, Judah, when he was a little baby, we went up to stay with him. And he started, you know, kind of crying. He woke up. And I wanted his parents to sleep. So I went in there. And I held out my hands. And he, wanted, he held them back. And so I went to pick him up. And he was too heavy. And I was like, oh, I didn't expect this. And the thought came to me, lift him with your knees. Remember how they say, do the lifting with your knees and your core? And it was like, okay. And I thought, wow, spiritually, I got to make sure I lift the weights with my knees. I've got to pray and commit all the burdens to God. I've got to take the weights of perilous times and difficulties, and I've got to give them to God. Next, Timothy is to instruct the brethren. The Spirit already said these times would come. Apostasy from the faith and demonic activity should not come as a surprise. Timothy was trying to say, was supposed to say to the people, this is not a surprise to God. 
God knew this. God prepared for this. He was to remind the people of the truth of what the word of God says about food and marriage. Both are good. Both are good. In Genesis uh, chapter 1 and 2, God looked over all his creation. He looked over Adam and Eve and said, this is good. And he said they are sanctified, promoted, and ordained by God's word and prayer. When we're seeking the Lord, we can't go wrong. You know what I realized um, one time? It's like, you know, I, I would have um, younger people, because I was teaching at the Bible college, come to me and say, I'm so afraid I'm going to miss the will of God. What if I miss the will of God? I'm like, do you love God? Yes. Then you won't miss it. Do you want to do the will of God? Yes. Then you won't miss it. God has these wonderful ways of keeping us with his rod and staff, Right? right in the center of his will. I know that times that I've started to get off, that's when the chastening and the discipline came. What? Because I was naughty? No. Because he loves me so much that he didn't want me to miss out on the promises and the goodness of his will. Next, be sure to feed on the words of faith. Now, I love the way that Paul used, he's talking about the word of God, right? But he calls it the words of faith, right? Words of faith, because the Bible has the power to build our faith. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I'm glad some of you are here. So Timothy is himself to feed on the word of God. This is, this is part of his self-preparedness. Um, years ago, when my mom's dementia started and I was taking care of her, uh, my mother-in-law sent me a book, and it was called Put Your Own Oxygen Mask On First. And I began to read it. And in the first chapter, it, it talked about how health Givers, health um, providers usually are the first uh, to die. If there's a husband and wife, it's usually the one that's healthier that dies first because of all the, the care that he has to give, which is exactly the case in um, my parents' uh, relationship. It was my dad that went first. But I remember um, it said that when you're on an airplane, remember how they say, Put your oxygen mask on first before trying to help your children. Well, I was saying this in the company of a flight attendant, and she said, you know, that is so true. What they don't tell you is if you don't get your oxygen mask on in 10 seconds, you'll black out. She said, you can be revived if you get oxygen, but she said, if you don't get that oxygen mask on, you black out, you can't help anybody. So in your attempt to help somebody, you will black out and you'll lose the person you're trying to help and yourself also. So the only way that Timothy can help others is if he's prepared himself. He has to, he has to be nourished in the word of faith. It has to be first for Timothy before it can be for anybody else. Every study I do, it has to be first for me. If I'm not living by this word, if I'm not practicing this word, I can't give it out. 
I've told you this story before, but because I'm weak, it's a day of stories. But one time I had these people over, and this recipe just sounded so good. It was a spinach artichoke casserole. Doesn't that sound so good? Because I know the spinach artichoke dip, which is to die for. So I thought, this is so good. So I made it. And I was about to take it to the table, fresh out of the oven. I decided to try a little bite. It was the most awful taste I have ever put in my mouth. And on my way to, to the table, I just made a 180. Went right back to the garbage disposal, and down it went. And they're like, no, no, maybe we would have liked it. I'm like, nope, y'all wouldn't have liked it. There was poison in the pot. And if I don't like it, I'm not feeding it to you. You know, I don't make food and go, well, I don't like it, but maybe they will. No, that never works. In fact, even if you like it, your kids might not like it. So we must first be nourished in the Word of God. Next, resistance training. Timothy is to refuse to compromise or waste time arguing over profane and uh, profane fables and wives' fables. This is godless speculation and wives' fables. This really does have to do with conspiracy theories. I mean, they say 90% of the things you worry about will never happen. And how many times are we just caught up, you know, with talking about this and that? And, you know, if we don't wear a mask, if we do wear a mask, if we get the vaccine, you'll die. If you don't get the vaccine, you'll die. You know, we're, ah, ah, ah. you know what? We got to trust God, right? I, you know, if you're a mask wearer, if you're a non-mask wearer, if you're vaccinated or non-vaccinated, I happen to have felt like the Spirit told me to get vaccinated. I've been vaccinated. That's what I felt. That's my personal conviction. I do not put that on anybody else. But that's what Brian and I felt convicted to do, so we did, because we minister to you. We don't want to infect you. I teach Sunday school. I want to make sure I am not infecting anyone else. And don't get mad at me. I'm going to get the booster. But conspiracy theories are all about us. This is profane, godless speculation. The internet gossip, that is, that is godless speculation. You know what they're saying? This is the world without God. This is the world without God. We have the Lord. We can talk about Jesus. Jesus. You know, it says in Colossians that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Jesus. We have only begun to mine for the diamonds and that are in the gospel and in Jesus Christ. I also think, and, and you might get mad and never come back, but that's okay because I hope you're convicted. But I think also sometimes um, these prophecies that come on the internet, like when the rapture is, right? And then it doesn't happen and everybody's like, <gasps> you know, but I remember more people giving this, us this book, it was in, um, we were living in England at the time, so it was the 90s, that Jesus was going to come before the year 2000. He didn't come. And, you know, everyone got their hope in this. And then when Jesus didn't come, a lot of people departed from the faith. 
A lot of people after my dad died departed from the faith because they were sure my father was going to be raptured. And when he wasn't, they departed from the faith. I want you to know, my dad did not lose his conviction that the rapture was going to happen. He said, well, I just guess I'll be there when everyone else gets there. And he used to always say that he wanted to be the person in Revelation chapter 6 that when everyone began to cry because nobody was worthy to take the scrolls and loose the seals, which would start the tribulation, that he wanted to be the guy that said, don't cry, look, the Lamb of God has prevailed. Like, here comes Jesus. I think God gave my dad that privilege. I was singing that song about heaven. Um, Holy, holy, holy. And the thought came to me, I think it was the Spirit, saying, your dad's ready to point to Jesus. My dad always pointed to Jesus. And he's still pointing to Jesus. Sorry. Um, But I think when we're trying to figure out the identity of the Antichrist more than the identity of Jesus Christ, we're in trouble. Who is Jesus? How much power does Jesus have? What has Jesus done? What are the ramifications and the implications of Jesus? Or when we try to figure out what the mark of the beast is, or who's got it and who doesn't have it, if they've been vaccinated, we're, we're in profane and godless speculation and wives' fables. Or where the U.S. is during the tribulation. Why? You want to be here? You know what? It's, 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 it's vain. It's useless. It's, it's profane. It's, it's not sacred. We are to be dealing with the sacred. We've got Jesus Christ. We've got Jesus. We've got the Son of God. We've got his precious blood that was shed for our sins. Why would we talk about anything less than Jesus, especially in the church? Why would we point people any other way than to the Lamb of God who has prevailed to take away the sin of the world? Why? Okay, just don't go there. Resist, resistance training. Push against those things. Push against those things. Then, set an example. No one is to despise Timothy's youth, but he is to be an example to all the believers. In other words, live it out. Let them see you and want it. Make their appetite thirsty. And he says it starts with the way you talk. Don't talk like those without a hope. Talk like those who have hope in the living God. How you talk in the words that you use. Are your words, are your words filled with grace? Do they draw people in or do they repulse people? You know, are you one of those? Like, I I was in England one time walking through the park, and there was this lady dressed like a nurse, and she had a megaphone. 
And this is how she was sharing the gospel. You're going to hell. You're going to hell. Of course, she did it with an English accent. You're going to hell. You're going to hell. And I walked by and I went, mm, 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 I'm going to heaven because I got Jesus. And she's like, you only think you have Jesus, you're going to hell. And I was like, who does that attract? Who wants that? You know, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Timothy, by the way you talk, by the way you live, by your conduct, that you actually live these things out, show people how it's done, how you love, how you love. Remember how it says in John 13? All men will know your believers by your love. Oh, how are we on the love scale? Where are we on the love scale? Love. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love. And then joy, peace. My dad used to say love is the fruit of the Spirit. And all those are attributes of love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. In your attitude or in your spirit, he says, but that's your attitude. What's your perspective on things? What's your attitude about trials? What's your attitude about difficulties? What's your attitude about housework or dishes or laundry? What's your attitude? My daughter one time, um, when she was three, she was going around and she had gotten one of my dish towels and she was going, stupid, stupid table, stupid table, all this dust. She's only three. And I'm like, where did she get that? Moi. And I realized, oh, no. In my conduct, I had been cursing all my furniture. And so she became a cursor of my furniture. You know, it's got to be in our attitudes, our spirit, how we are with difficulties and hard places. And then finally, impurity in our integrity. Then he says, put your concentration in these things. Put your concentration in reading the word. And I really believe this was to the people, because already he said, you're yourself are nourished in the word of faith. But read the word of God to the people. Remember, they were illiterate, uh, the majority of the population. So they needed to hear the word of God. And what the Bible said, next he said, exhortation, encouraging the people in living for the Lord that encouragement, you can do this. The Lord is on the throne. And finally, in doctrine, what the Bible teaches about who God is, what God has done, the reliability of scriptures. Oh, there's so much to sound doctrine, so much to be involved in, to be talking about. Then he says, use the gifts God has given you. Timothy received this gift when the elders laid hands on him and prayed. Now, we're not told specifically what this gift is, but I believe this gift was leadership and teaching. And I believe that's what Timothy was a little bit timid to do. So Paul says, Timothy, do it. You've got the Holy Spirit. You can do this. In 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11, funny enough, this chapter, 1 Peter 4, is talking about the latter times. The, you know, the times and the difficulties and persecution. And this is what Peter says about how we're to live. As 
each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Do it by the Spirit. Let's be people that do what we do by the Spirit of God, by the gifting he has given us. Like like shop today with the worship, using her gift that God has given us, her giving us that edification. Use what God has given you. Then meditate on these things. Meditate on the word of God. Meditate on the instruction of Paul. Meditate on the doctrine. And I I think of Psalm 1 where it says, you know, he that meditates in these things day and night. So meditation means to actually chew the cut. It's to bring something back. Well, cows bring it back from the first stomach so they can send it to the second stomach. But, you know, it's to bring that up and to get every bit of nutrition and every bit of flavor out of it. So with the word of God, we're to think about it. Get all the flavor, savor the flavor. Get all the flavor, get all the nutrition out of it. And that happens as we continue to think of it. Don't just have our devotions and then be like those people who forget what they heard, forget what they read that James talks about in James 1. We don't want to be forgetful hearers. We want to meditate on these things. And then what happens? According to Psalm 1, we become a tree. Planted. We don't shake with shaky times. We are established. And not only are we established, but when drought comes, we stay green. We bear fruit. That's what happens with meditation. Then he says, take heed. Take heed. Like, do it. Just do it. Just do it. Nike does not have the, uh, the something on that saying. Yes, whatever that was. Take heed, devote yourself. And then he says, by continuing to do these things, continuing to exercise himself to godliness, continuing to instruct the people, he would have his own oxygen mask on, and he would be able to put the oxygen mask on others. And when do you do that? When the plane is going to crash, when the plane is in trouble, during shaky times, Timothy would save himself and others if he continued in these things. So in conclusion, that's your attitude, not mine. I'm sitting. I'm ready to go another hour. No. We live in perilous times. But these times that we live in are no surprise to God. He knew about COVID just like he knew about smallpox and the Spanish flu. He said in the end times, remember, that there'd be pestilence. He said there'd be wars and rumors of wars. As leaders, we need to not get caught up in the times or weird theories or superstitions. 
but we need to exercise ourselves to godliness by labor and suffering, instructing others, nourishing ourselves in the word of faith, rejecting useless fables, setting an example, making the word an exhortation and doctrine a priority, using the gifts and doing what we do by the spirit of the living God and what he has given us, and then meditating, thinking, pondering on what the spirit is expressly saying and what the Lord wants us to do. This is how we are prepared for disaster and how we can prepare others for the times that we live in. The plane is going down. The plane of man's long rule of the earth is going down. But as long as we have our oxygen masks on, we'll be able to save others. We can't save the plane. Only Jesus can but we can save others. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the women here. I thank you that you have given each one of them a gift by your Holy Spirit. I thank you that you love each one and you want them prepared for the times that we live in, that you do not want them shaken and you want to give them the power You want to give them the word. You want to give them the stamina to strengthen others, to take the wobbliness out of others so that they can stand too. So, Father, we thank you that you have gone before us and that because of you, we can endure, we can be joyful, We can set an example, we can instruct others, and we can save others because of you. In Jesus' name, amen.